Christ is born, hallelujah. What a, a wonderful place to start. And very often after, in the church calendar, we, we do a nativity scene. And we had spent a great time over Christmas doing the various Christmas services. And then after that comes the story of these three kings. Um, I don't know if, if Callum, you'd like to put a, a slide up. And you'll, you'll see the, the, these three kings. And uh, I can never remember what their names are. I was checking earlier. Uh, I think some people in here. Is it Casper? Uh, and there was a Melcher and a Balthazar, wasn't it? Yes, it's the first time I've remembered them. And, um, and that's where they are. There's a picture of them there. They're on their way to, uh, if we keep going to second Callum, you'll see that uh, where they are on the slot... Has it gone? Thank you. Uh, you'll see there they are, heading through the mist, looking at that. It's one of those conjunct. we know now, don't we? It's one of those conjunctions between Jupiter and Saturn. So I don't know if anybody saw it. It was too cloudy when I was looking. Um, but we're told that this could have been it. Um, a star. They followed a star. We know that much. And uh, I can't miss out on the on the second picture uh, some of you might have seen it that's in the, in the cathedral in, in Cologne in Köln, in, in, in Germany uh, and and what happened was the the three wise men after they died their bones because they were so important their bones got stored somewhere and then they eventually got picked up and moved to M Milan uh, and then somebody in Germany said, no, 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 Germany's going to become the head of the Holy Roman Empire, so let's fetch them up there, and they put them in a gold casket, and you can see them today. Well, you can't today because you can't travel today, but once restrictions are lifted, you'll be able to go to Cologne and see this wonderful gold casket. Now, when it comes to the three kings what we tend to always say is there might be some distance between where the reality lies and which bits have been added on, maybe a bit of the myth side or the legend. And the, these three guys are not the only ones. You see, we, we think of it as a, maybe a modern thing with our, our, um, because of our media and the way we can pass on stuff worldwide in, in a... In a moment these days, then the, the legend of somebody often takes on far more significance than, than the reality. And, and here we are with all these things about these three kings, and we just don't know. And so usually at Christmas time, and just after Christmas time, that's when we start to talk about these three. And the bottom line is we know that there were three visitors to Mary and Joseph, and Jesus. But just when it was, just who they were, we don't know too much of the actual truth that, that was involved. The one piece of information we can't argue about, and that's maybe why we focus on it a little bit, are the three gifts. Now, they are recorded for us in, in, in Matthew's Gospel. And anything like that that's recorded must be for a reason. And the reason, of course, we know is that they're, they're significant. There's a significance in each of the gifts. And so at Christmas time, this is what we generally do. We go through what we do know and what we don't know about the 
magi, we'll call them that. Um, and then we tend to say, well, yeah, but these gifts are significant because they were given to Jesus. What a, what a thing to happen. Uh, that, uh, well, we've, as we said, as we shared the other day, what a special year it's been in, in Holy Trinity for new arrivals. Uh, and th- but th- so when there's a new arrival, then there's a baby shower beforehand and gifts are given to the new baby. Now, I don't know uh, uh, what happened with the baby showers this year, uh, but if there were gifts, there maybe there was some, some gold. You get gold as a gift occasionally, very occasionally. Frankincense, less so as a gift, uh, but myrrh, I doubt if anybody was giving myrrh at uh, one of these baby showers. It would be a bit unusual to think of giving myrrh to a baby. But these are the three things that we know were given to Jesus. What we're going to do is take a look at these gifts and just for a small part, turn something of this coin on its head and look at it from a slightly different angle. Because we look at the same angle every year, it feels like. And so I was just thinking, is there another way, something different, to look at these, the, these three gifts? Because when we look at the three gifts, we tend to leave it as, yeah, they're, they're brilliant, they're purposeful, they're significant for Jesus. But I'm always looking to see what does the scripture do to impact our lives? God's book written for us. And it's been written that he would impact our lives. So is there an angle on these three gifts which would impact us? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your written word. Thank you that we can read about Magi, uh, however many there were, wherever they came from. Uh, we know they, they followed a star. We know they went to, to Herod. And we know above all that they gave three gifts because of who you are, Lord. And those three gifts teach us more about you. So we say hallelujah. Thank you for a revelation of who you are through these three gifts. Thank you for the, uh, the prophetic gifting of these magi. Help us then, even in these moments, to draw something from yourself. By your spirit, will you reveal truth? Will you reveal more of yourself? And Lord, I pray more such that we might be changed more into your likeness. Lord, it's not just a good story. It's that we might be changed, transformed into your likeness. So will you do your work in each of us this morning with the words of my mouth? Lord, may it be your word that's received. The meditations of all our hearts, may we be focused on you. And may we bring glory to you, our strength, our rock, our light, and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, gold. And incidentally, I haven't got any gold. I have to say, well, I, a little on there, but I, I would love to have brought in a little bit of gold, a little bit of frankincense, a little bit of myrrh. It's not been possible on, on this occasion. Gold's the easy one, uh, in a sense. If we all got an idea of what gold is like, it's sort of shiny. Um, 
and it can be made pure, if you like. You get gold that's, some gold, if you like, that's purer than others. And the Bible talks a lot about gold. And at the time of the Bible, there was probably nothing more expensive. So if anything good was going to happen, if anything precious was going to be seen, there had to be gold. That's why when the temple was being built, it was full of gold. That's why when Solomon's uh, palace was being built, full of gold. And the gold just exuded preciousness and, and value. Gold was involved in everything like that. Uh, Jacob and Rebecca, when Jacob sent his servant to go and Rebecca, get Rebecca, um, the, the betrothal gift, if you like, was gold. To let Rebecca know that she was precious. All the way through, we read of gold being the most precious thing. Although, curiously, the Bible tells us there is something more precious than gold. We used to sing a song, uh, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. And you can find verses in Psalms and Proverbs that tell us there's something even more precious, even more valuable than gold. That's God himself. That makes sense. Because God is, is bigger. God is other than us, everything in creation. God is totally pure. God is not tainted by being part of creation. And so because of who God is, he is worth more than gold. He's the only one. But somehow God sees us as his creation such that he is making us pure to be like him. Gold, the most precious, the most significant. If, if you're the king, you've got the gold. It's often the one who had the most gold was the king. Okay? And you go and visit the king, give him a tribute. We know Sheba, Queen of Sheba. That's where she maybe had some gold where she was because she brought it to Solomon. This was all about honour, power, prestige, the king. Now then, that's the angle that we always take. And we know we give Jesus, gold, we say yes, because Jesus is the best. Jesus is the one who deserves all the gold. Right, that angle is totally right. What I've been wondering is how the Bible begins to talk about us as kings as well. Mm -hmm. That might seem a bit strange, but the words in the scripture think of Paul's letter to Timothy. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. And in Revelation, we're called like a kingdom of priests. We're told that we will reign with him. It's several places. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and us being part of it. It might seem a bit strange to be a bit king because, well, Jesus is the king and he will be and is indeed in heaven the king of kings. But somehow Jesus has, has given us this, if you like, um, this inheritance of being like him. Now, that's not that we can go about as if we're kings. We, it's not for us to go about, like sometimes you hear this phrase, uh, like do you, do you know, you're at the queue and uh, you, you feel like you should be next in the queue. So you say something like, oh, do you know who I am? Um, it's not like that. It's not that because we have this almost like kingly status in the kingdom of God, that it doesn't mean that we can go around as, as if we're something that we're not. And grace and humility are very much part of it. But it does mean that we can go to people 
and say, do you know who Jesus is? I think with all the gold and frankincense and myrrh, with each of them, it's possible to look back, because I know the other week we went into community and we did it a few weeks earlier um, with gospels or to pray. In each of these occasions, think what it would be like. When you're doing that, do you go there in this thought that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God? That this is something that God has given you. That you reign with him. That's future. But the kingdom's begun to some extent. So it's not about going around being something that you're not. But it's about having the confidence in him that says, yes, we have something that we can give. We're something we can be in our community. Frankincense is a little bit different than gold. It's about mystery. It, when you find it, it and it's a bit of a, So I think that's my microphone, isn't it, Sariel? It's okay, Dan. When, when, when you see it, it's often in a, a globe, <laughs> uh, or if it's on a little bit of a table, then And there's this white cloud. Hmm, a white cloud. It's actually quite fragrant as well. It would have been quite rare in Bible times, so it was also precious. Frankincense, what's going on here? It's a cloud, well, we can't see it. Hmm. Where, did jo- uh, where did Moses meet with God? In a cloud. Hmm. What's going on? What's taking place? Where does this cloud go? Upwards. Where's upwards? Heaven. God. Yeah? The idea is that the frankincense is this stuff that somehow brings about this swirling cloud that we can't see through, we can't see into. In other words, there's a mystery. And the the mystery is the fact that we, God's creation, could actually be in relationship with the creator. Frankincense is used as this token, if you like, uh, of sacrifice, with sacrifice, from the Old Testament onwards. And frankincense was offered pretty much with everything. The showbread, the bread of the presence. When, when that was offered to God, there was frankincense. And when all things that were being offered to God were good, then there was frankincense. When things were not good and they're tainted with sin, then frankincense wasn't offered. Uh, we read about um, the, the, the test for if the, if the wife had been faithful and an offering was made at that point, but it didn't include frankincense in case there was sin. So somehow frankincense is making this bridge between man and God. And the one who did it, we call the priest. He was the one who could do it. He was that that special person, that special position who could make that relationship solid between man and God through a cloud. Because how on earth could man do that? We know that's where Jesus came into the situation and changed it. It was Jesus who, we're told, did this, this mediation, this reconciliation between us and God, we're told. It's us who needed it. But God did it by Jesus coming, being the sacrifice, and suddenly man is with God. Even in the Old Testament, man connected with God through frankincense. 
The psalmist said, Psalm 141, said about, may my prayers to you, God, be like incense. Something mysterious going up to God. Uh, And the mystery is that we, you, me, human beings, can say some words, not always words, but we, are, we aim them towards God. Think of the first line Jesus taught us, our Father. Yeah? And when we do that, we know here that these prayers go beyond the ceiling with all these lights. If they didn't, they'd be a waste of time. We could talk all day and blah, 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 but if it wasn't actually going to God, it would be irrelevant. It would be useless. But the Bible tells us that our prayers go to God like incense. That's why in Revelation we read how the prayers of God's people are like an offering up to God. But it doesn't stay there. That's in chapter 5 of Revelation. Move along to chapter 8, and it says how Okay, the incense is up there. There's all these bowls and there's censers and there's angels. And suddenly, a scoop, if you like, out of the big bowl comes out. And what happens to it? It's hurled onto the earth. We're told all sorts of things like happen, feel, um, thunder, lightning, earthquakes, whatever it is. Basically then, let's think about the mechanics that's taken place. We have prayed. That is like incense. So it goes up to heaven and then... It goes to God, to God's altar. And from that, action from God. That is why we pray. Because if we were speaking and it only hit the ceiling, it's meaningless. But because our prayers are like incense, they go to God who acts on the earth. It's not necessarily because we do A, then God does B. Because he's God, he acts as he's will. He's sovereign, he's the king. He does, he answers as he wills. But the scriptures tell us he answers and responds to our prayers. When you hear testimony, there's, been a, there's always that moment of prayer when someone asks God. And the testimony is here because God answers those prayers so frankincense for us then it's not just this gift to jesus jesus yes was like the priest but we're told that we are priests then we're told we are a royal note the kingliness as well there a royal priesthood and so the priest was the one who had this access to god think about it christmas time zechariah in the holy place offering to god the incense and then Then the angel spoke and said, you're going to have a son, John the Baptist. And in the same way, then we have this access to pray to God. The access has been bought for us. As we know, Jesus died. The temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So we now have this access, as priests used to do, or as priests do, so that we can be with God. Jesus is the the high priest Jesus is the the priest eternal in the the order of Melchizedek. But we are like priests in that we have this access now to God. Does that impact our lives? Maybe it should. Thirdly then, myrrh. 
it's a bit of a tagged on, this one. Gold, we know about frankincense, goes like that. Myrrh, it's a bit smelly. It's not always a bad smell. There's different types of myrrh. In the Old Testament, myrrh was used uh, in, in Esther, preparing Esther for her beauty treatment. Uh, I don't know why I did that at that point. Maybe that's what you girls do. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, and likewise, Song of Songs. They, they, they're talking about a sweet fragrance of myrrh. Uh, in the New Testament... There's only two uses of this particular word that, that's like myrrh. There's two words. The first one is, is, is like myrrh. Uh, and that was used for, by the wise men. They gave myrrh. Okay? As I said, it's an unusual gift for a baby. However, maybe a little more likely, was it was Nicodemus, remember him, from, uh, from, from John. John's gospel it was Nicodemus who came at night and was told he must be born again. Well, he was the one who got the myrrh, took it to it was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea as an embalming spice. In other words, myrrh was used to death. It did something with the pungency of death. It hid it. Okay? It was very strong. It says, then, not all myrrh was sweet, and if you heat it up a bit, it gets even smellier, and you get this other myrrh that does that. Um, but there was another word for, for myrrh, more like Smyrna, a bit like the town in the, in the book of Revelation. And, and that myrrh... Um, it was a myrrh that was used uh, in, in different ways. It's a bit of a, uh, an anaesthetic, uh, if you like, um, or an antiseptic. Uh, and, and this was the myrrh that they'd mix in with some wine. The Jews didn't like the horror of crucifixion too much. And though someone was dying on the cross, they very often got this mixture of wine and myrrh uh, and offered it to the person who was in distress on the cross. Uh, that's, as I say, it's a mixture of the anaesthetic in it, but basically it took you a little bit out of your senses um, because of the drug. And so it's actually something Jesus refused. It was offered to Jesus. Jesus said, no. So myrrh always features then in that way. Now we might feel a little bit uncomfortable about the thought of being a king uh, or a little bit uncomfortable about the thought of being a priest but what does myrrh do for us then when we turn that angle round? We know myrrh was given to Jesus because he was going to die. That's the reason he came. But for us then, how does that work? See, all, all, all these gifts are prophetic in the sense that they were speaking God's word to this baby. Yes, the, the three Old Testament offices we know about, prophet, priest, and king. So... It's all interwoven, and even for us then, we've got a sense of kingliness, of priestliness, but also sacrifice. Jesus did say in the verse up came, came up early about Jesus was pleased to give the kingdom to his people. That's the kingliness. But he also said, take up your cross. Hmm. And so many verses in the New Testament talk to us about our death. This was the word we had a week or so ago from Ian, about there's that sense of destiny. And, you know, where, where's your destiny going? Well, it's actually going to death, which doesn't seem too pleasant in a way. But the Bible says things like that we have died with Christ. We have died with Christ? What does it mean? Are we dead? Not yet, but Paul said it was good to die, yeah? To live as Christ, to die is gain, yeah? 
And there's that sense of a, a death being very much wrapped up with these prophetic gifts given to Jesus. And if these are gifts that are given prophetically to Jesus, then we live these out, as you like, as living almost like prophecies. Are, are we doing that? Are we prophetically pointing to the fact that Jesus is the king? Are we prophetically pointing to the fact that Jesus has made it possible by his death to be with God? And are we prophetically living out the fact that Jesus' death is what made it possible? When we visit our community then, are we there to say who we are? But in doing so, are we saying who Jesus is? Are we proclaiming him? Are we showing that God's word says that Jesus is a saviour because he died for us? Many verses we can quote about how we have died, but we live in him. And that is prophetic in the sense of, yeah, that deals with the future. It also speaks into the now and living it out prophetically by the verse, for instance, Romans 12, 1, that we are, we are living the life of a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. A sacrifice that doesn't just, you know, what, what sacrifice jumps off the altar? It doesn't. It means that we're living as if we're simply living the life of Christ, living the way he lived, that we might bring honour to him, that we might present him, that we might project him, that we might win others for him. So, three wise men, three kings, whoever they were, three gifts. And it's totally right to present these gifts as gifts to Jesus. That's who they were for. So the first point, always remember that these gifts were given to Jesus. But just maybe, even if it's just as an afterthought, have a think about how these gifts might impact you how they might impact me because of these gifts do i know that i can live as a citizen of the kingdom of god do i know that i have access to god in a way that is totally clear it's a mystery it's smoke but it's clear because of what jesus has done we now wear those white robes instead of the kingly robes the white robes are ours of righteousness through christ jesus and yeah because we have gone through that death with him, then we live the eternal life that he has bought for us. Let's pray. Father God, lead us into your truth. Uh, lead us deeper into your word. Uh, help us, Lord, not to settle for for the shallow waters. Help us to push out into the deep that we might meet with you in deeper measure. Lord Jesus, teach us more about yourself. I would thank you for the magi. Thank you for the three gifts. We pray that through these gifts, we'd learn how to worship you as the king. We'd learn to know how we might receive you as our saviour. We know to acknowledge that it's your grace and your death that make it possible. Lord, I pray that these gifts, though, would have impact 
in our lives that we might bring glory to your name, that we might see others one for you, Lord. We've got people who aren't in church because they don't know you. May the impact of these gifts be that you would draw our community to yourself. Amen.